Hey everybody, thank you for checking out our episode on our top 10 films of 2019. I want to note that halfway through the recording of this episode, we had some pretty major technical difficulties. As a result, our audio doesn't sound quite as good in the second half of the podcast. I appreciate anyone who goes through and listens to the whole entire thing, but if not, we will be posting our top 10 lists on the website gildedfilms.com as well. But if you want to hear our fun takes, go ahead and take a listen. Thank you. Hey, everybody. This is Brett. And I'm Christian. And you're listening to the Gilded Films Podcast. The best of 2019. Welcome, welcome everybody to the Gilded Films Podcast. I, as always, am Christian. Uh, with me, as again, as always, is Brett. And we are joined today by a super special secret guest star. We haven't seen them since October. It's Nancy Myers. It's Zay. Hold on, dearie. I'm coming in from my very nice kitchen. Welcome to Zay. Welcome to Zay. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to Zay, starring Kristen Wiig. <laughs> oh boy, y'all, we're in for a fun episode. <laughs> Let me just say that. So, like we said in the little intro there, this is the best of 2019. Honestly, after looking at it, it was a year full of pretty lit movies. The Oscar nominations came out yesterday at the time mm. of the recording, so we might delve into a little bit of those with our top ten. We're going to get each other's top tens and have a have a grand old time. So take it away, Brett. Yeah, you know, I, I spent your entire introduction just like trying to predict what you're going to refer to Zay as, and Nancy Myers didn't come to mind. To <laughs> don't ask me why that was the first thing I could think of. <laughs> I have a nice kitchen. <laughs> but no, uh, yeah, so Oscar nominations just came out. Uh, honestly, I think the best picture race is pretty, really good, except for like one or two movies. Obviously, we've got some issues with the acting nominees. They are very white. Uh, the directing category is very male. Nothing new, but especially in a year like this, is pro- probably going to see as we go through our lists pretty awful not gonna lie but we will see we will see which films make our list see how they compare to the oscars the best picture list maybe but first we're gonna start with something a little fun something we haven't done before and so rather than just forming our own lists we decided that we would try to predict each other's lists and so uh, i was tasked with predicting christians christians is tasked with predicting zay's and zay is going to try to predict mine and so we're going to start with that. Go from there. Uh, Christian, would you like to give us a go and tell us what you think Zay is going to put on their list? Okay. So I have these written down. Here they are. A gay movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's in general. Which one? I do not know. 
Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I'm the reason Zay got to watch that. So that's true. Forever day. grateful. Midsummer. Uh, Parasite, because you know, everybody loves that. Amazing Grace, because I remember commenting on that after I saw it, and I was like, you were right, it's pretty good. Wild Nights with Emily. I guess when I said gay movie, I should have just went for it and just said <laughs> And one that I saw today, and that you were very excited about, Loose. Mm. Yeah. So that's what I got. Okay. I know there's not or anything, but you know. These are the ones that I remember you talking about the most. Okay. Okay. Very nice. We shall see. Zay, okay, what do I have on my lists? Okay. So I, mine. I, I I went far. I, I did the whole ten. Okay. The first one's very easy. Toy Story 4. Duh. <laughs> Parasite. Little Women. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Marriage Story. Uncut Gems, 1917, Us, Ad Astra, and Once Upon a a Time in Hollywood. Okay. Okay. They're all very bro movies. (laughs) Well. Yeah. Little Women, the bro movie of the year. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Uh, So, Christian, I, I went the full 10 for you as well. Um, I I think I think my top five is pretty good. It's after that I'm I'm kind of nervous about my no, your number one. I think is going to be Parasite. It might be the Farewell. I also have Marriage Story. I have Knives Out. I think Portrait of a Lady on Fire is going to be there as well. I also have Amazing Grace on your list. Seems like your favorite documentary this year. Uh, Jojo Rabbit. I have I have Booksmarts. I have 1917 and I have little women in that order. Okay. Well, let me just say, don't make a joke -er out of yourself. (laughs) Very funny. I have to. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we will revisit this. We'll see which ones we got right, which ones we missed. But for now, let's start out. Number 10. Zay, would you like to take us away with your actual number 10 pick? I sure would. My number 10 is Dark Waters, directed by Todd Haynes. Um, it came out around Thanksgiving, and after I saw it, I was screaming at everyone about everything about this movie. It's So I went, and I loved Todd Haynes is one of my favorite directors. Um, after seeing this, I kind of just confirmed it. And but I I only saw it because he had his name in it. The trailer just looks so boring. I was like, oh, is this just a legal drama? Whatever. No. Oh my god, it's just anxiety for two fucking hours. It's Mark Ruffalo plays a I don't know the official term law person, and he's investigating. Um, he might be a lawyer. I don't know. Or a defense attorney. There's like different terms. Whatever. Um, and then like he goes to the, uh, his hometown, which is like his farm, uh, farm is being poisoned. And he's like, well, where's like it coming from? There's like a water supply. And that's when we find out that this company has been putting Teflon, Teflon has been like making shit for years and it's in everything and it's in every human body. 
and it's super toxic. And this whole movie is just anxiety. Because you're thinking, oh, it's just a biopic that's also like a legal drama. No. Todd Haynes is like, that's not good enough for me. I'm going to make you sweat. And I think it's just his, like, the humanity he can bring to his films that really makes it. That even though I do, it's only my top 10 because Anne Hathaway has such a nothing role in it. Which I'm so surprised because his women in his movies are usually so well written, but she has nothing to do. And it makes me so sad. I don't think either of you saw this one, though. I did not. I did not, no. Shame. When I saw the trailer, I mean, I haven't seen that many Todd Haynes movies, but I was just like, this doesn't look like a Todd Haynes movie. It doesn't really feel, but if you look at his like older stuff, he really is like invested in environmentalism and stuff like that. So it makes sense. Nice. Coming around. I can only assume this is set in the 1950s and Julianne Moore makes a cameo. No, (laughs) it's like the late nineties into the early two thousands. Well, very nice. No Julianne to be found. As Todd Haynes says, wow, that one kid say he saw my movie. (laughs) (laughs) Not enough people saw it. It went wide and everything, and then people were like, eh. Yeah. Just just pretend it's like a Hulk-like prequel. (laughs) (laughs) Or Catwoman prequel. Go do whatever you want. All right. Okay. Well, um, I'll go in with my number 10. This is one that I know we've all seen and I think we all loved a lot. It is from earlier in this year, Olivia Wilde's Booksmart. And so this is a teen comedy featuring Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Deaver um, as these two high school seniors who have kind of reached the end of their high school career. They're both going off to, well, as we find out, one is going off to a prestigious college, um, like straight-A students, whatnot, spent their entire high school careers doing basically nothing but studying and making the grade and, of course, hanging out with each other. And then they get to, like, the last day of school and realize, wow, everybody else got grades that were similar to ours, getting into similar colleges, but they actually went out and had fun. And so they take the night to go out and do that, go to some parties, get around, maybe drink some alcohol, do some drugs, I don't know. But um, it kind of turns into a big adventure. It's often been like perceived as like a new version of uh, Superbad. I actually think it's a lot better than Superbad, if I'm being completely honest. Um, I think Beanie Feldstein is an absolute star in the making. I think she's got, I think both of them have great careers ahead of them, um, but they're both super great here. Very, very funny. Um, probably the funniest movie I saw this year, the one that made me laugh the most. And since we're just going to reference Todd Phillips all the time and how much that movie sucks, this is like the response to when Todd Phillips said that woke culture ruined the comedy. Like when all that stuff came out, I was like, he obviously didn't see Booksmart. Um, But definitely like a great script, one of the best, you know, original screenplays of the year, a great directing debut for Olivia Wilde. And honestly, one of the most fun times I think you'll have watching a movie in 2019. And so that's my number 10 book smart. Billy Lord. Oh yeah. I forgot Billy Lord. Yeah. Billy Lord would honestly probably make my, I don't know. She's very close to making my supporting actress lineup for this as well. I actually think she was possibly one of my favorite aspects of the movie. Um, Beanie Feldstein was great obviously too. So she's a magical character in this, that Billy Lord. 
yeah she shows up at those random points and it's just like everybody laughs during those scenes so all right christian let's hear your number 10 I take it there was silence from Booksmart because we want to save our thoughts for later. That's what I assumed. I was going to assume that. So I'm saving my thoughts then for later. Okay. My (laughs) number 10 pick is the Josh and Benny Safdie brothers film uncut gems. Now I know a lot of people haven't been liking this movie for whatever reason. I don't really look into it because nobody's opinion matters, but my own (laughs) a couple other people that I read, but I really like this movie. So I don't even know how to describe it, except I'm just going to read the letterbox thing here. So Howard Ratner, who was Adam Sandler in an actually good role. This ain't no Jack and Jill. A charismatic New York City jeweler, always on the lookout for the next big score, makes a series of high stakes bets that could lead to the windfall of a lifetime. This man is a complete gambling addict. Um, There's a, Basketball player who I should know his name and Brett might hit me if I don't. Kevin. Kevin Garnett. Okay, so he's like a real basketball player playing himself in this. And pretty much Adam Sandler comes into the possession of this really rare gemstone from Africa. And there's like this whole business of him keeping it because he needs to put it at auction. But Kevin wants it because he feels like it's going to give him the best feeling to play the basketball game. The bath, the big game. <laughs> Judy and Mickey show up. They sing for the big game. But yes, black, it in is blackface. In what? In blackface. I wasn't going to say that. But, okay. <laughs> but no, this it's a very chaotic movie. There's not a whole lot of slowing down in it. Um, Howard Adam Sandler is a very, I don't know, he's a scummy character. You don't really find anything to like about him, especially he ignores his family as well because of this constant gambling addiction and this wanting everything better than he has. And You don't like him at all, but I love this movie, and I really found the editing in it really great. I know a lot of people felt that way about Good Times, which was the Safdie Brothers' last film. And yeah, it just, I don't know, it made me so anxious throughout the whole thing Mm -hmm. because that was the first thing I texted afterwards. To, to Toby, I was like, this movie don't let down. Like, there's constantly stuff happening. It's funny. I was listening to a podcast today. It's actually the Rewatchables. I've never listened to it before, but the Safdie brothers were on it and they were talking about Happy Gilmore, which was like amazing. Uh, it's funny. So that movie takes place 2012 and I never really got the significance of why that is. They don't really explain it. It's because they originally had Joel Embiid, who is a current basketball player, to do the movie, but then the season starts, so they had to do a player who was like recently retired. And so like that's the only reason it's set in that time with Kevin Garnett. He's all he could get. But yeah. interesting. I thought it was just because the weekend wasn't famous yet. I <laughs> that was See, my, that's my that was my reason pulling it out, because I don't know anything about basketball. <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, okay, so like, does that like was the weekend on beforehand? He was actually supposed to be like very famous. At point. <laughs> like, oh shit, we can't make him famous now. But Could yeah, you wild movie. Like Michael Jordan in this. Oh, Michael. <laughs> I I agree. It's a very tense fucking movie. The whole time I'm just screaming, "You fucking idiot! Stop!" <laughs> and the whole, and then I'm just like, Idina Menzel is the only person I trust for this movie. But even then, she hasn't left that man yet. True. I like the fact that she's in this because she doesn't really get a whole lot of roles that aren't animated. That's true. Yeah, it's very against type. 
And there's like the whole situation with the security. I'll say like the security station, which is the glass part that you have to go through before you actually get into the mm-hmm. the jewelry store itself. Uh-huh. And how that plays a pretty big part in the later half of it. And that's like, you're so claustrophobic with those poor men that are trapped in there because he's like, again, an idiot, a scumbag, <laughs> watching his little basketball game, making sure he wins or else, you know, something will happen. Yeah. Okay, Zay, let's hear your number nine. Okay. My number nine, I guarantee, is not on either of your lists. My number nine is a film that came out in February. It is. Happy Death Day to You, directed by Christopher Landon. And I know people will not take this choice seriously, but this movie means so fucking much to me. It is the sequel to this 2017 movie, Happy Death Day. Um, it's a Blumhouse production, um, and it's just the sequel to the movie. And It does the same thing again, but it's like, let's add a bunch of insane layers. So the basic concept is this girl in college tree. She wakes up on this specific, on her birthday. And by the end of her birthday, she's dead. And then she has to wake up again and figure out why she's, why she died the day before. And it's just a really cool time loop movie. That's also a horror movie. However, happy death day to you turns into a sci-fi film because there's parallel dimensions added in now to the sequel and um basically now she's trying to figure out how to go back to her own dimension through this really stupid science project that was on campus and it has the and she has to die multiple times and has the best death montage set to hard times by paramore i can't i can't listen to that song without wanting to rewatch the montage it's just so fucking good I have seen this movie three times now. And it's so insane that this came out in February because it feels like it came out years ago. <laughs> 2019 lasted forever. Jessica Roth, who plays Tree, is one of our finest actresses who is underused. I love her to fucking death. She just turns the camp all the way up. Insanely good. And the movie made me cry so mm-hmm. hard. Wow. Many horror movies have made me cry this year. Interesting. And I and it didn't make enough money for us to get a third one, and I'm forever pissed. Oh. Because Blumhouse... Would you go really, really weird? Because, like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there could go multiple directions on how that would work. Like, she have a baby, and then she dies in childbirth, and she has to relive nine months. Oh, my months. God. <laughs> What a, I'm sure that's an idea no one has ever had. <laughs> well, surprise, surprise. <laughs> so she has to figure out a way to have the baby without the ba- baby killing her. <laughs> this has turned into like an abortion drama, I think. <laughs> and then the baby comes out and it's wearing like the baby mask. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Kickstarter. Get it started. I totally forgot that you love this movie. And it's like a really good sequel too, though. It's not like, I mean, it's campy, but it's not like, you know, a sequel to a fine horror movie that's like, oh God, this again, the cliche. It's like, it's not a new character. It's the same girl going through the same shit. And like you said, the montage is good. And the time loop situation, where she has to learn how to like fix that. That's pretty impressive too, because she has to memorize so much. 
Yeah, like you said, like it, it doesn't seem like this was released in 2019. I mean, I never saw it, but it feels like I was hearing about this movie a long time ago. But at the same time, I'm not surprised that it's on your list because I knew how much you enjoyed it and loved it. And so, wait, have you seen the first one? No, I haven't seen either of them. Hmm. Brett, you have homework. <laughs> As you were describing it, I was like, wow, move over Avengers Endgame, like alternate timelines. I was not expecting to hear this about this plot for this movie. Please don't disrespect Happy Death to you <laughs> by bringing up Avengers Endgame. <laughs> okay, fine. Then Back to the Future episode. <laughs> very nice okay so my number nine movie is one that came out i want to say in like september it kind of made like the festival round and then didn't do great in terms of like box office and especially awards it is brad pitt's best film this year which is ad astra um it's a sci-fi film that like we've been waiting on for a long time I don't know. I wasn't super excited about it because like everybody was saying, oh, the new James Gray movie. And I'm like, who's James Gray? Like I had to look up who he was because I couldn't remember what he had made. And I don't know. It was in development for a long time. It finally came out and it made me realize like just how much I love these space movies. Like First Man, I thought was really awesome. Gravity is the best to come out this decade. But this one was like a lot better than I expected it to be. It's a very slow film. Um, Brad Pitt it plays Roy McBride, which is like the perfect name for a Brad Pitt character. And years ago, his father, Tommy Lee Jones, like went on this mission and apparently everything went down around Neptune. Well, now there's these big shockwaves being sent across the universe and it's threatening life on Earth. And so Brad Pitt is kind of tasked with getting a message out to his dad, who it turns out is alive and is still with this spacecraft. And so it's really interesting because throughout the film, which has like these amazing visual effects and it's kind of got some action movie elements. There's like a scene where they're like in this kind of like shootout with these moon pirates. Yeah. The moon is colonized, of course, like it makes total sense. Um, but I think the more memorable moments are the really quiet ones. Cause it's a very quiet movie. It's a pretty slow movie. There's a lot of scenes where Brad Pitt has to take these like psychological exams um, and really kind of like lies his way through because really he's feeling a lot. He's got like major daddy issues, Um, but it's also like very much about like isolation and how like, you know, space movies are often about the like fears of isolation. And this one almost seems like he is like seeking that to get away from everything and, you know, be out in this universe. And by the end, it's actually a really touching take on humanity. Um, Cause it's all about like intelligent life outside of earth and having a more, a greater appreciation for the people who, you know, surround us by the end. Really awesome. Brad Pitt performance. I wish it was getting more love than the performance he is getting love for. Although I think that's a pretty good one too. Um, but yeah. One of the more surprising ones of the year for me, it's not for everybody because it is very slow, a lot different than a lot of space films, I think. Um, but definitely one I really enjoyed. So my number nine, Ad Astra. I love space and I love space movies. And I really dug it. I liked how slow and atmospheric it was. And I love Brad Pitt. That's the discovery I made this year is how much I love Brad Pitt. Yeah, he's like a really good actor. 
I mean, I, I truly think he's an awesome actor who's done a lot of really good roles and he's got this movie star persona. So I th- don't think people realize that as much until they see a movie like this. And so, yeah. I didn't Christian, like Christian, are we, are we saving your thoughts for later, Christian? <laughs> no, I didn't like this movie. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm, I'm all about the space movies, but when they're slow like this, and it, it literally is a slow thought processing movies where I legitly was waiting for the aliens to show up in this. And when that didn't happen, I'm like, I'm out. You got a baboon. What? <laughs> you got a baboon. Oh, that's true, but it's not an alien. It's a baboon. <laughs> but I don't know. It's very visually beautiful, and yeah. I know it got a lot of heat for not getting on the short list for you know visual effects and cinematography and all that. But yeah. I don't know. I it was just like the slow pacing of it, and I really didn't get the point. Like Brett, you explained it so well. Like what was the whole point and message of the movie? And I just <laughs> did not get that at all. Like and Tommy Lee Jones showing up and excuse me for the Kansas City film critics for nominating Tommy Lee Jones for whatever reason they ran out of people I guess <laughs> yeah mean, that's kind of a that's kind of a Beatrice Strait situation there I don't think he's in the movie long enough for him to deserve awards consideration literally had consider, I always forget he was in it literally <laughs> had to ask myself who's Beatrice Strait oh my God I should be ashamed of myself. <laughs> But yeah, Ad Astra, not my favorite. I will say, like, in my opinion, best visual effects of the year, and I really don't think it's that close, to be completely honest. But I can totally understand. Alita, Battle Angel, Left Heart. Honestly. I haven't seen it. I do have a story about this. This is the movie that I went to go see, and when it was over, the lady in front of me was like, "Wait a minute, what time did this start?" And I'm like, (laughs) "I remember." Oh, they sent me to the wrong theater. She had sat for the last 45 minutes of this, (laughs) and when it was over, she was confused and was like, "Did I miss it?" (laughs) It's like you're in the wrong theater, sis. Oh no, that would be a terrible experience. (laughs) So. That's that's my fun story, I guess. Ad Astra. Very nice. All right, Christian, let's hear your number nine. All right, my number nine, as I'm chewing my <laughs> French fry, <laughs> Jojo Rabbit. Taika Watiti's movie about a little boy named Jojo who has an imaginary friend who just happens to be the Fuhrer himself, Adolf Hitler. Hilarity ensues. <laughs> But the hilarity ensues between them, not so much, though, when he discovers that his mother is hiding a young Jewish girl in their attic, a la Anne Frank, and he has to decide, well, does he want to give this Jewish girl up? And she gets killed, and his mother and him also might get in trouble, or does he keep her safe, risk it, and still possibly might get this girl captured and his mother and him in trouble? It's a dilemma. Hitler guides him along the way. This is considered a comedy for whatever reason. I mean, when you see it, you'll kind of know. Um, it's been getting a lot of flack. Again, I don't know why, nor do I care. Because when I saw it, I really loved it. I saw it with a packed audience. We were all laughing. I was laughing. This is my kind of humor. Not like Nazi humor. <laughs> <laughs> but think of it like this. I love the producers. I love Mel Brooks comedies. Mel Brooks 
really pushed the whole satire of Hitler through springtime for Hitler. Charlie Chaplin did the same thing in 1940 with The Great Dictator. Then in 2019, we have Taika Waititi's version of Hitler. And it's just hilarious to put him down in such an odd way that he's the most like flamboyant, Paul Lind-inspired idea of this poor kid who's so radicalized into the Hitler youth that he don't know what else to do. And it gets scary, too, because there's like really scary moments that Hitler's almost threatening this kid. And again, he's a figment of his imagination. There's sadness in it. Scarlett Johansson. There's Okay, she's the mother in this. She got an Oscar nomination for it. And yeah, it's also Sam Rockwell's in this, Rebel Wilson, uh, Thomason McKenzie as the young Jewish girl uh, who has the name, I want to get it right, Elsa, because the whole time I was like, oh, Casablanca. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Jojo Rabbit, Same. good movie. And if you hate it, leave me alone. I don't care. I definitely don't hate it. Uh, for me, it was like a solid four out of five star movie. I don't know. I... I didn't think it was as simple as Taika Waititi was like giving Nazis a pass. I, I don't really know where that idea came from. It's yeah. very clearly a satire. I mean, I think it really pulls on like the absurdity of everything that happened and kind of using comedy to tell that. And I can understand why that might rub people the wrong way sometimes, but I don't, I don't think that's what Taika Waititi was trying to say. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought the whole cast was great. Thomas and McKenzie is, is like, She's kind of like Beanie Feldstein. I hope that she's going to be like a huge, great, you know, getting tons of roles coming out after this and leave no trace last year. I thought it was really great and really funny too. So I enjoyed it. For me, it was a movie I really enjoyed when I was like watching in the theater and I was like laughing all around. Um, Except for one minor point, I wanted to tell you off Mike because it's funny, but it's also associated with the spoiler. Um, But... It's one of those movies where I enjoyed it in the theater, but after I left, I kept thinking more and more about it, and I didn't like it as much as I left. I mean, I still enjoy the film, and I enjoy a lot of the aspects of it. I think it's pretty funny. I just, there's some parts where, like, there's, like, a lot of Jew jokes in it, where I'm like, Mm -hmm. I think you're leaning too far the wrong way with those. And I just think that it could have been more focused the other way. And also, toward the spoiler with Sam Rockwell's character. I also didn't like that in, in with that part either. It didn't yeah. it didn't need to be necessary. Yeah, that part made no sense. Yeah. No. But it did for certain awards groups that want to give <laughs> awards. <laughs> Honestly, surprising that Sam Rockwell was never in the supporting actor nom- conversation with this movie just c- based on the recent years, but Not racist enough. <laughs> No, he's not because he's an odd, sympathetic Nazi to this boy. Yeah, see, that's why his character just doesn't work for me. But and I, I don't know. know. I don't know if he was threatened, if his life was threatened, because he is old. But Mel Brooks did, in fact, see this and like this movie. <laughs> threatened. <laughs> I don't know because he didn't like something like Life Is Beautiful, which is like an <laughs> Italian Jewish man to the concentration camps. He hates that movie. Very nice. All right, Zay, let's hear your number eight. Nah, this is our first repeat. It is mm. Booksmart, directed by Olivia Wilde. It's such a good, lovely, cute, funny movie. It just has so much heart and has so much love for all of its characters. I hate 
so many like people will talk about comedies from the 80s that are like this is so great it's a classic but they're just so mean the movie's so mean to the people and the people are so mean to everyone else this movie's not mean and that's why i love it so much it's just real but also it's like oh these are all people it's just so wonderfully written and to have a gay love story in a movie like this ah uh, ah uh. And I'm just like in love with this movie. I haven't rewatched it, but I've been meaning to. And I just because I haven't seen this since what it was like May when this came out. It's on Hulu. There we mm-hmm. go. It is. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the whole cast is great. Billy Lord. Why isn't she in everything? Right. She yeah. is so fucking funny the whole time. I like. I love everything in this movie, but the whole time I was like, when's Billy coming back? <laughs> Um, she definitely got the talent gene, though. She did. Yes. Like, she is acting royalty at this point, so I'm glad she's getting stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Everyone needs to see Booksmart, and the fact it was also snubbed from the Oscars is ridiculous. Yeah. I think we've talked a few times on this podcast, like, over the two years we've been doing it, about, like, our generation or, like, the next generation having teen movies like that came out in the eighties. And this is just like the next example that, that I mean, they can enjoy probably relate to in a lot of ways and be very funny, you know, too. Um, so yeah, I think this is like a, a great example of a, what a raunch comedy could really be when it's great like this. So just saying I, comedy, that sounds weird. <laughs> it's just- this just sounds like you're saying ranch weird. <laughs> I really enjoy ranch with this movie. This seems to fit. I would also like to know, people keep comparing this to like a John Hughes movie. John Hughes is so overrated. He can't write women roles very well. This has nothing to do with John Hughes. Interesting. Yeah, I don't get that comparison at all. I mean, I say like 80s movies like because like they were popular, but like I've heard us, it. like they weren't as popular, so... I don't get the super bad thing either. I never like super bad. Yeah, I found this way better. This is more well, super bad feels very I don't know, exaggerated, while this feels very down to earth and relatable. Because you could have two girls who are like literally book smart their whole high school career, discover everybody else's book smart, but having fun at the same time with their lives. I yeah, I don't know. I think like super bad is very much like of its time, and I think Booksmart is going to be more timeless as time goes on. But wait, wait, wait. Speaking of Superbad, did we all know Jonah Hill and Benny Fieldstein are siblings? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What is that? (laughs) I learned this like a week ago. I thought you were just... No, his name is Jonah Feldstein. Yeah. (laughs) I thought you were just mentioning that because it hadn't been mentioned yet, but yeah. Uh, okay, so my number eight is uh, one that I just saw earlier this week. Um, so I don't know if it's going to stay where it is on my list or not. But for right now, it's my number eight. And it is 1917, the new film from Sam Mendes, um, World War One film. I know this is a genre that's become very tired over time. Um, but I think this one really, it, it kind of, I don't know if it breaks new ground, but it does feel kind of different. Part of that may be because of the whole one-shot technique, which I thought was pretty marvelous, but it also had a lot more emotional depth than I thought it would as well. And I found the story very, very intriguing. 
Um, kind of similar to Saving Private Ryan, it's not so much about telling this huge story about World War One overall, but focusing on one particular story, focusing on a specific set of characters and their experiences. And so what this is, is two soldiers um, played by Dean Charles Chapman and George McKay. Um, they are tasked with getting a message to this um, front of soldiers of 1,600 men that the German uh, army has basically set a trap for them. And so they got to get this message to not attack or they will all likely be killed. One of them happens to be the older brother of Dean Charles Chapman's character, Game of Thrones reunion, Tommen and uh, Rob Stark, Richard Madden. Um, Yeah, really great. I think it's some of the best cinematography of the decade with what Roger Deakins does here. You know, Deakins has proved himself time and again to be one of the absolute legends, but this is really, really spectacular. Not just for the whole one-shot thing, which could have easily become a gimmick, but just for how beautiful it is. I mean, there's some scenes near the end that take place in like this ruined little town that's been ruined and tarnished by war and set at night, and all we see is kind of the the light of fires to guide the way. Just outstanding, amazing imagery in that scene and a lot of scenes in the movie um a heartbreaking movie in a number of ways george mckay gives one of the most surprising performances of the year with what he does here both physically and emotionally as an actor um definitely a very british film my one criticism of this i think the one one of the big war tropes that it carries on is that it can sometimes be very black and white about heroes and villains like all the Germans are just like nothing but villains and that's all they know. That's what it kind of feels like throughout this thing. But other than that, I thought it was pretty, very well done, flawlessly crafted, great production design, really, really interesting movie um, and great work from Sam Mendes as well. So 1917, my number eight. What's it nominated for? 10 Oscars, 10 Oscars. Let me pull it up here. Um, I know we got a big list, mostly tech awards, but some above the line as well. Um, best motion picture of the year, best directing, original screenplay, cinematography, makeup and hairstyling, production design, score. I forgot to mention the score. The score is freaking phenomenal. Thomas Newman. Oh my gosh. It just enhances the story in every way. Visual effects, sound mixing, sound editing. So it's tied for second this year after a film that we will not mention. So there's another film. Um, I, it's out there yeah i'm, I'm yeah mm. I it didn't hear about it yeah same i really enjoyed 1917 i really surprised it, everyone including christian surprised and me surprised <laughs> me same because i hate the war genre however 1917 i feel like did something different it was a lot more focused on very small worlds inside of a war and it wasn't very, in- of course, there were scenes here and there, but it wasn't very interested in explosions and mm. making you, like, try to, like, I don't know. It didn't make it feel like an action movie that I feel like some war movies want you to have. And I think I really enjoyed that part. Um, I definitely agree with Brad on the whole black and white thing, which is, I guess is always an issue with war films. Um, but, yes, I enjoyed it. And Roger Deakins makes it, like, it just makes a landscape of war just, like, so beautiful. But then there's just so many, like, dead bodies and rats. Yeah. Just, like, so it's always equal amount of awe and ew. And it's perfect. 
Put that on the DVD cover. <laughs> Evil parts on you. Love it. Um, and I forgot to mention, like, it, along with like uncut gems, talk about anxiety-inducing movies this year. This is another one of those that's just like edge your seat the entire time. I kept jumping the whole time. Oh, yes. I mean, I saw this at home on my screener, and I wasn't supposed to like it. I'm going to save my thoughts for more thoughts for later. But no, I wasn't supposed to like it because even watching the trailer, I'm like, eh, it's like Dunkirk. And then watching it at home, I'm texting people like, this is amazing. And I'm pretty sure it's because of the whole one-shot thing, but also because it's like not, like we're all saying, it's not a story strictly about war. We're not seeing the fighting. We're seeing more of the survival. And you have one mission, one goal, and you got to get there. And that's it. And you got to survive. That's the whole point of this story. So Yeah. Suck it, Nolan. <laughs> I will say, I like Brett said, the genre of war is a little tiresome. But it's nice to see a World War One movie and not a yeah. World War Two Because we don't get a whole lot of World War One movies. Yeah. We can thank Wonder Woman for that, I think. Thank you, Wonder we, Woman, for bringing it back. <laughs> definitely, definitely cannot thank Warhorse, so I agree. Okay, all right. <laughs> Look. <laughs> He's a horse that went to war. What, what else can we want? He's a hero. <laughs> all right, Christian, what's your number eight? Well, my number eight is an overlap, and it is the last one on the list that is overlapped. I mean, not like we've gotten far, but it's Booksmart, which we've all spoken about. Again, hilarious, very relatable to the high school youth of today, and also us, um, Beanie Feldstein, Caitlin Dever, um, Beanie Jonah Hill. <laughs> also great supporting performances, like we've said, from... Uh, We've talked about this movie thrice now. What the hell? <laughs> Little Carrie Fisher Jr. Billy Lord. Billy Lord, my God. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's not much more to be said because we loved it. I will say that there's one part where it's animated and it is the yeah. most hilarious moment of 2019. And I am so happy that I saw this at a sold out showing. Mm. And it was at a theater where they have literal couches for their seating. Yeah, like not recliners, but couches. So like there was a stepping stool for my footrest. <laughs> and it's like me and my two friends who are there on the love seat. And I'm on like the single seat. <laughs> Again, sold out. There's a fireplace. And you're just like laughing the whole time. Great stuff. Great film. Please watch it, everybody. It's on Hulu. Yeah. Okay, Zay, let's hear your number seven. All right, so my number seven is only one of two movies that are Oscar-nominated on my list. And I might get a little flack because my number seven is probably a bit lower than your guys' lists. But my number seven is Parasite, directed by Bong Joon-ho. Um, and now I have to summarize it. Uh, so don't spoil it spoil <laughs> it the film takes place well honestly it's such a good movie if you don't know what it's about just skip ahead a little because it's so much better if you have no idea what the fuck's going on Yes. 
but it's about a South Korean family. They're impoverished, live in a very shitty part of town, and they just... You know what? I'm going to keep it small detail because I really do want people to enjoy it. So, but basically, they find a, a way to scheme um, a way to get uh, a lot of money out of a very rich family in town. And it's so ingenious. It's so thrilling. It's so funny. And it looks so fucking good. I'm so glad that a foreign film is getting so much attention this year because... I just feel like people don't watch enough foreign films, especially in fucking America, where we're like, everyone has to see our films, but don't you fucking dare show us one of yours. We don't want to see it. Um, and even so, it's a hit film, but it's only made like $30 million here. But that's like a lot for a foreign movie. And no, don't get me wrong. For a foreign movie, that's a lot, but... Yeah. Overall, not terribly great. So, yeah. But it's such a great movie with a fantastic cast who were all snubbed for the Oscar. Um, it's just so smartly written, so smartly edited. There's just so many good elements of it. I think if I had only one critique, and sometimes it gets a little juvenile and a little, like, it gets its ambition, lets it get ahead of itself sometimes. Mm. But overall, I think it's pretty much a perfect movie. I love it. Yeah, um... There's not much I can say about this film without like worrying that I'm saying too much. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep my thoughts on it to a minimum for now. So okay, um, so my number seven is we've had a lot of like uh, sophomore features this year that have been really good. One of those comes from Jordan Peele, and it is Us. So starting off, as I mentioned before on this podcast. The most snubbed performance of the year, because it is the best performance of the year, in my opinion, is Lupita Nyong'o in this movie. So I said, playing two roles, playing Adelaide, and also playing um, her version of the Tethered, which are these like doppelganger <laughs> characters. Uh, <laughs> the Tethered. She is just so like so easy to empathize with on one hand and then so terrifying on the other. There's just so many things she do, does with her voice and with her eyes and just with her overall expression that is just absolutely masterful. Um, Winston Duke is really awesome too as um, her husband Gabe in the movie. Gabe slash Abraham as I think is the tethered name. And um, th the whole cast is great. Basically, these two characters and their... Two children are on a beach vacation where all of a sudden these start these doppelgangers start appearing um, to kind of basically... We don't really know what they want at first, but it seems like they're kind of hunting them down, and we really don't know why. This movie is really mysterious. It is very trippy. Um, it is a full-fledged horror movie. You know, that was one thing that Jordan Peele was, ver Peele was very big about was that, you know, with the Get Out being nominated for Best Comedy at the Globes for some reason and people not calling it a horror for some reason. He was like, okay, fine. I'm going to deliver a very much a horror movie. And it is frightening. Um, but what I love most about it is that I love movies that inspire discourse that can differ. There are a lot of interpretations of this movie and ways that it can be interpreted um, or interpreted and... Um, I like hearing all of them. You know, I've had my own, I, you know, how it talks about, um, 
you know, the oppressed, oppressed folks and um, what that means and, you know, how we look at ourselves and whatnot. But there are a number of ways that people can look at it, which is basically part of the reason I love it so much. I think only truly great films really inspire that the way this one does. And obviously you can see his influence from Rod Serling to Hitchcock to, you know, all these great directors that have come before and how that kind of influences his work as well. So that's my number seven, Jordan Peele's Us. Hold on, hold on. I'm getting a phone call. I'm getting an incoming phone call. Um, the Academy Awards are canceled and we're just going to go ahead and give Lupita the Oscar. How yeah, about that? Gonna... Nice. Wow. Hey, answering a phone call. <laughs> um, but no, it is. I love this movie. It was. It's in my honorable mentions. I think it's like number fourteen. It's a movie I love so much, especially with Lupita's like center um, performance. Like, it's, it would be a good movie regardless, but she transcends it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that scene with Winston Duke's thighs, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the score. The score is perfect. Yeah, like the. I saw a lot of people, particularly on film Twitter, like getting really excited and thinking that Lupita would be nominated because she won all these critics awards. And I was like, did we not learn anything from Tony Collette? Like, sure fucking didn't. you know, of course she, I was not one bit surprised that she didn't get nominated. It's because, you know, the Oscars are not only racist, but biased against horror. So we're not surprised, but we're disappointed. Exactly. All right, Christian, let's hear your number seven. Well, my number seven Christopher Columbus was an evil man. <laughs> it's Little Women. <laughs> okay, so she says Christopher Columbus a lot more in the book. As I've discussed in this movie. She says it once, and I was disappointed in that. Anyway, so Little Women, Greta Gerwig's newest adaptation of the classic Louisa May Alcott story. It tells the story of the March sisters, Joe, Meg, Amy, Beth. That's all of them. <laughs> <laughs> And their friend Lori, uh, played by a variety of non-American actors for a very American story. <laughs> um, but this story's been around 150 years, so you should know it by now. It's literally just them growing up. However, the way Greta assembles it is she goes past and present between them being adult uh, women to them being young girls, sisters together, just enjoying their lives learning new things about each other, becoming friends with Lori, who's Timothy Chalamet, 
and just growing up. I watched the 1949 version the other day, which had an intro by Greta Gerwig, and she said that the only reason she did the editing that way, past and present, was because once they are adults, they are no longer ever together again, which I thought was like, oh my God, and I like put it together, and I had read the book at this point, and I'm like, you know what? That makes a whole lot of sense. And because of that, I think it is because of that. There's other things, too. I mean, the acting in this is great. The writing is really superb for a story being so old, yet feels so new. It, like, it totally makes sense in the direction that she went with this on why she had to do the choppy editing. But like I said, it works. Um, one family member of mine hated it. They don't count because they don't know good stuff. But no, this is definitely a good film. Don't believe anybody who said it isn't. AKA men. <laughs> because I, I was like the only dude in my screening of it. But hey, I'm amongst the women. I'm so excited I get to do this. But we're going to continue because Little Women <laughs> is my number six. Yay. Very nice. Um, but yes, I agree with all of that. It is such a lovely, lovely movie. Um, I had such a shitty Christmas. But as soon as I got to the theater, I was like, oh, this is charming. This is warm. Oh, God, I'm sobbing. Oh, it's such a nice movie. <laughs> you saw this Christmas Day? Yeah. Right before Cats. <laughs> <laughs> Cats ruined everything again. <laughs> um, but Little Women, it's just... Okay, so I actually didn't know the story, really. So sue me. I missed 150 years of history. Um, all I knew was this in middle school, I saw a high school production of the play, but they stop before they grow up. So I didn't know all the plot points of later. <laughs> and so that came as a surprise. That's weird. I know. And I'm like, I guess to make for time, but hmm. it, after I watched it, I was like, oh, that was nice, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, the, yeah, so the movie... I need to like watch all the old adaptations and read the book because I'm so interested in all of this now. But the cast is so fucking good. Most of them. Emma Watson's kind of just there. Um, but Laura Dern, this is the this is what she should be nominated for the Oscar for is Little Women. I mean, I have my own biases against Marriage Story, but I love Laura Dern, so I'm not going to complain no matter what. But she just plays such a quiet, subtle role in this. And I think more Oscars should be given to those kinds of roles because it's just so beautiful how she does it. Yeah. And I, at first, I was a little confused by the editing, but once we got the ball rolling, I was like, okay, this is where, what we're doing. I get it. And I think the people that automatically dismiss it for that are men. And men shouldn't have opinions. See, and like watching this, and I'm very familiar with the story because I've seen like most of the adaptations, and then reading the book... I can get, like, Sheer Sharonin's voice in my head. I can get Laura Dern's in my head. Like, sorry, Winona Ryder and Susan Sarandon from the other annotation, but I only get these people in my head. I don't get Emma Watson's. I get Emma's <laughs> originally cast in this and then dropped out for Zombieland 2. Mm. Big mistake there. Interesting. Yeah, yeah I love it. Um, I, I'll save my thoughts on it for a little while. I loved it a lot. Uh, sorry, Zay. My number six is Marriage Story. <laughs> <laughs> I it up. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, you know, when I first heard about this movie, it was like, oh, this is going to get so much awards. And so I'm like, I know a Bombac movie? Like, that doesn't happen. Um, and it does have some similarities to his old films. It is like, you know, privileged white people and their problems. But my gosh, it's just so organic with these characters and the the acting. Oh my gosh. Um, so we have Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson who begin the film as a married couple. Um, but it kind of goes right into their divorce process with each other. Um, you know, it starts out that they're kind of seeing... I don't know, a, a mediator between the two of them, and they want to keep lawyers out of it. Um, but Scarlett Johansson really wants to move back to Los Angeles, where she's originally from, where her family is, and because she's an actress. And Adam Driver really wants to stay in New York because he's in a big up-and-coming um, theater director. And so eventually the lawyers are brought in, courtesy of... Um, Laura Dern and Alan Alda slash Ray Liotta, and it becomes a very big, ugly mess, um, getting to the point of them finalizing the divorce, custody of their their young child, um, Henry, and really, I just, for characters that, like, aren't, like, always extremely likable to get to, like, get into their situation, but also see, like, where they're coming from was very interesting um, everybody talks about the big blow up, the big fight between Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. Really great scene, but for me, the more, the better, um, representations of their performances are the more quieter moments for them. You know, with Scarlett Johansson, there's that scene where it's just focusing on her telling her story to Laura Dern. Adam Driver, near the end, when he reads a letter that was earlier written by, um, the Tree's character about... Um, why she loved him and there it's very emotional oh it's such a at times it's such a depressing film but I love the way it ends it ends very hopeful um, it ends with a more positive look towards her humanity and the film most of all really captures how sometimes an ugly divorce is not because of the two parents, but because of how the system, the divorce system just works in the U.S. and pits them against each other. Laura Dern is obviously going to win an Oscar for this. I agree. She should be in for marriage or for little women instead of this, but I do think she is pretty fierce here, and I do like the performance. Um, and yeah, Alan Alda, Ray Liotta are awesome too. It's a really great acting ensemble that really um, struck a chord with me. So, Marriage Story is my number six. It's a fine film. Damn you. <laughs> I know, once I told, I, I saw it like, I think I saw it the night it like dropped on Netflix, and I told Christian, I was like, oh, I wasn't feeling this movie. And I was like, I could feel the heat. <laughs> and, I, well, and I told you my favorite character was the woman who like <laughs> inspects Adam Driver's house and his relationship. I don't know why she killed me. <laughs> like, dude, do you want anything to drink? Oh, I'll just take water. I'm pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> I loved her. Like, I don't know where we got, like, discount Rachel Dratch, but I loved it. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, the um, film is funny, too. It's funny at moments like that, too, as well. But that's the problem with it, I think. I didn't like the tone shifts. Mm. It would come at weird times for me. And I don't know. I just didn't. 
the characters didn't click for me until much later mm. and by that time i was like oh it's too late i can't i can't love this movie yeah i think it's just fine i can definitely see why people love the hell out of it but i i'm just not that person sorry y'all didn't click mm. did not click sorry <laughs> 2005 i'll save my views all right well then let's hear your number six all right, my number six we've spoken about. It is Us, directed by Jordan Peele. Again, Lupita, oh, she gives such an amazing performance in this, and the Academy was like, never heard of it. Like, I get that they have the whole bias against horror shit, at this point against people of color, and against films that come out really early on, because this came out in March, Mm-hmm. But I mean, even the critics have not been ignoring that whatsoever. Like, critic award after critic award, she's been winning. And then suddenly you get to the actual, like, whatever this is, I guess. I mean, I guess the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is critics, critics' choice, but whatever. But there's like a. She's not here. She's not in the Oscar race anymore. And that's unfortunate because she plays two roles that are very complex, really more complex once the movie ends i won't spoil it if nobody has seen it yet because it's really a sort of like a shocking ending yada yada but god i really wish she was in this and once it went past the last name n on this i was like oh my god she's not in this and wholeheartedly disappointed like damn alphabetical (laughs) but yeah I saw this, like I said, I saw it twice in theaters. Twice? Three times. No, I've seen it three times. Twice in theaters, though. Really rewarding experience. Like, the first time I was shocked at the whole thing. I sat, I had to see this opening night because I didn't want to get spoiled or anything. Mm-hmm. But, and it turns out a lot of people that I work with have never heard of this movie. What? <laughs> yeah. Like, what? I keep saying, oh, have you heard of Get Out? And they're like, no. Well, have you... <laughs> Who are these people? What the? And I'm like, well, have you seen us? And they're like, never heard of it. But then they're like, oh, I really think that name redacted is gonna win for that clown movie. And it's like, oh, okay, priorities. Yes. I, I bet they think oatmeal spicy. <laughs> well, let me just say they cried through the Lion King and the remake version. Mm. So did I. Cried laughing. <laughs> <laughs> so. But yeah, my God, this I know it didn't have quite the impact like Us had. Because, I mean, you know, people still talk about Us. Get out. Get out. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The impact that Get Out had. But they don't, literally, the Academy feels like, oh, yeah, we'll give it to Get Out just because cultural relevancy, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, with Us, did we already do that? Do we have to do it again? Why? Especially because I could keep calling Get Out elevated horror. Yeah. Mm. You couldn't really call us that. At least I didn't hear too many people call us elevated horror. Yeah. I think it was too pulpy for that, so. Like, I hope that uh, Jordan Peele just makes horror movies just to piss everybody off, and then... I'm so excited for Candyman. I know he's not directing it, but he has his hand in it. Yeah. I'm so excited for what that's going to be. Don't you mean he has his... Books, you know? <laughs> okay. Zay, let's hear your number five. 
nine, number five. I was going to say, I'm not going to say. It is Amazing Grace, directed by Sydney Pollack. Um, uh, this fucking documentary. I went to church, literally. <laughs> this is uh, the documentary about uh, Aretha Franklin recording her live album Amazing Grace at this church and I don't remember the church or the place or whatever, sue me um, but it's just such a powerful film, I'm so glad I went to see it in the theater because I got to hear all the sounds and all the music and just like I'm not a religious person but just feeling all the spiritualism and just feeling like Aretha's just power coming through her vocals. She truly is one of the greatest vocalists of all time. Rest in peace, because God knows we'll never get another one like her. And just to see everyone just reacting to how she can sing and just like, this was just like a once in a lifetime event to just see all this power in this one room of her singing all of these songs. Ugh. Like, if there weren't other people in that theater, I would have been just standing up. I would have been jumping. I would have been praising Jesus. I would have been into it. Um, <laughs> it needs to... There were people doing that in my screening. I feel Ooh. Good. I want, an, I want a Rocky Horror Picture Show sort of thing for The Amazing Grace, but everyone's just, like, hooping and hollering. Um, but, yeah, it's just super fucking good. Um, for the longest time... It just was never released because Aretha didn't want it to be released for whatever reason. And, and then it was, she died. And her, her estate was like, yeah, we'll release it. Apparently, it, they were re-releasing it this year with, like, an expanded version. Hmm. Yeah, Alamo Drafthouse is showing it. Oh, cool. Oh. They're like, uh, it's for a certain charitable thing that they're doing. But they're like, see it again. Buy a ticket. Interesting. So I, I'm interested to see, like, what they add to it. Um, Mick Jagger has a cameo in it and the camera guy is a little obsessed with like hey hey that's Mick Jagger and I'm like I don't give a fuck <laughs> but yeah such a great documentary one of the best concert films I can't believe we got two such great docu like concert films this year I mean I know this was filmed in the 70s but uh, it really should have gotten Oscar recognition and it's on Hulu oh it is it is. Really? Okay. Because Brett hasn't seen it. When you said Sidney Pollack, I had to do a double take. I was like, I had no idea Sidney Pollack directed it. Yeah. He's like, you can see him in it too. Hmm. Yeah. But uh, this came up in an honorable mention. Unfortunately, it didn't make my list. But no, it is my favorite documentary of the year. I will say that. Like, it was an incredible moving experience so much that I want to listen to this album again and I want to see this movie again. And I don't know what the what you have to do to get a documentary nomination, but I'm assuming they don't like archival footage, even though technically this isn't archival. Well, it is now because mm -hmm. it's not the 70s, but at the time this is made, I mean, it's a straight-up concert film. Stop ignoring that. Mm. But yeah, it's definitely a great watch. I don't know, has a concert film gotten a documentary nomination before? Uh, Woodstock. Oh. I think, well, you know, Woodstock won Best Film Editing. So, mm. and that is like a three-hour movie. <laughs> yeah. 
But no, I can't believe Brett hasn't seen it. Then again, I'm not surprised. <laughs> well, that's on Hulu. I'll check it out. Isn't it weird Aretha is, like, dead? <laughs> I feel like I just saw her. <laughs> I feel like, literally, I think the last time that I saw her was on The View, and they were talking about something legal, and she was like, oh, baby, I can't discuss that right now. <laughs> I remember, do you remember when Prince died? And she was like, you think it was the Zika virus? <laughs> what? She thought Prince died of the Zika virus. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, now Jennifer Hudson is being in the movie version of her? Yeah. Mm. And literally it's called, like, Respect because... Every movie has to be named after your famous, you're like your most famous song. Brett's like, move on, I haven't seen it yet. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I I am going to move on, but I do want to check it out. Um, My number five is one that I know all three of us love. It is a French film that France did not even submit to the Oscars for Best International Film. Uh, It is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Like Zay, um, I got to see this movie solely because of Christian. And I, I, I love it because it just completely, like, it floored me. Not just with how beautiful it was, but, I mean, here's the thing. I am not one for, you know, period historical dramas, 18th century or 1800s, whatever it is. Um, not one for those films, typically. I'm not one... For I'm not always a fan of films where people seem to fall in love like very quickly over a short period of time. But for this one, it's just so beautiful and so intently interesting the entire time. And it is so easy to see why these two women fall for each other and have this great passionate love between them. Um, It's a story of a painter named Marianne um, near the end of the 18th century. Um, She has this task of going to an island in Brittany to paint a portrait of a young woman named Heloise. The kind of twist in the deal is that um, Heloise can't know that she's being painted because she doesn't like that. They kind of chase the last painter off, and so it's a heavy task. But as these two women get to uh, interact with one another, um, they basically, Heloise thinks that Marion was hired to like go on walks with her, Um, they really get to know one another and really get to see one another and see who each other is. My favorite scene in this whole thing is then they're talking to each other. And I think it's Heloise who says, like, can name all these mannerisms that Marion has and what that means. And I was just like, wow, like that is passion. Um, so it's really great to see their relationship flourish. The costumes are awesome extremely beautiful but um christian one thing you've said is that every shot in this movie looks like a painting and that is very much true um claire mathon mathon i'm not really sure how her name is pronounced but she got screwed by the oscars um the director Yama, should totally be in the best director lineup in my position um this is a great film it competed for the palm d'or at con and it's basically I don't know. I, I try not to get too deep into award season with every film, but this is another one that has just been completely ignored, very unfortunately. And so, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, 
I've discovered a lot this year and really thought about like what I consider a masterpiece to, to be for me. And it's not always my favorite films of the year, but the ones who have a nice mix of ones that I love and I just am so impressed with. And this one will probably go down as a masterpiece for me when all's said and done. Just yeah, it, it made my honorable mentions, but not by much. Great film that I, again, I'm not one like you, Brett, for period pieces, slow-moving ones. This was just beautiful in really all regards, especially the cinematography. Like you said that I said, the painting thing, the scene that you see a lot on Twitter, especially, is of uh, her just staring out at the water in the green dress. Mm-hmm. And it looks like a painting, but actually seeing it within the movie, it's like, yes, this does look like a damn painting itself. That's so weird. And my favorite scene, but I'll also say painting, was, and it's very simple. It is the the maid is just staring down, I think, at a book, and the other two are sitting next to her. And everybody seems still. There's little movement around, but oh my God, it's like a painting. And I wanted to be all French and be like, bonjour, this is the title of this painting. Let's be on Yes. But yeah. I'd like to see it again. It's a shame that they're not putting it to theaters till February. Yeah, February fourteenth. That France is like, mm, let's do another movie for our foreign thing. They're <laughs> <laughs> bringing out the French cigarettes. I am saving my thoughts. That <laughs> <laughs> French accent. That's all I got. Oh, my goodness, I believe that's you and McGregor in Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> <laughs> all right christian let's hear your number five all right my number five is possibly my favorite ensemble of the year and a very surprising film it is ryan johnson's follow-up to the last jedi it is knives out yay it tells the story of a family patriarch who is found dead after a night of his uh birthday his family is immediately questioned the lead investigator on it is Daniel Craig, who is sort of like a Agatha Christie, Hercule Poirot, Southern detective, or what is it, like Southern fried bullshit or whatever. That's Pine Evans says. I don't know if that's right. But anyway, um, Ana de Armas is really the main character of this, though in any of the trailers she really doesn't seem like that. She plays sort of the medical assistant to the man who's, who has died, and that's Christopher Plummer. And she was seen as the one who knew him really the best. Even his family didn't know him that well. They had their own issues with him. Very dysfunctional. It's a comedy. It's a great whodunit. I think it's the best whodunit, really, since Clue. And that was 85. So, again, really surprising film. Because it's, it's super funny. A lot of twists and turns. I did not trust even Daniel Craig, who is our detective. I didn't trust him. I trusted nobody in this film until the mm-hmm. very end when all is revealed. So, knives out. You know what? Take that, Last Jedi haters. Take that. Ryan Johnson went and got himself an Oscar nomination for this. Oh, yes, and it's nominated Best Original Screenplay. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it. it's my number 11 or 12 film of the year. Really, I, you know, it's, 
in some ways it was like a classic whodunit, but also does have that kind of modern twist. And Anna Diarmas and Daniel Craig are just really great in that movie. And Tony Collette. You know, Tony Collette deserves more mentions for this movie, too. She's a really great supporting actress in this, too. So, very nice. And I will say the, the subtle message sort of behind it, how Anna de Armas is, of course, like the housekeeper, the mm-hmm. maids as the assistant, versus this entire family of very, very rich people. Yeah. And an immigrant. And the well, Yes. It's also an honorable mention for me. It's like number 15. I really, I just love a stat cast. You get a good cast, I'll be fucking there. Um, and I think everyone's used pretty well. Like, there's no one there, except I think my only problem was Lakeith Stanfield because he's yeah. just so fucking good, but they didn't give him anything to do. I think he was the only one where I was like, mm. but everyone else, I'm like, okay, everyone's got enough screen time. Um, yeah, I, it's a great movie. So much fun. Like, I... It's just perfect popcorn flick for you to go. Everyone will go and enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. And if we were doing a list of my parents, this is my parents' number one of the year. Very nice. They should be on the podcast. That would be Um, great. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Zay, let's hear your number four. My number four. My number four is a movie that neither of you watched. It is a French film, Knife and Heart. That's mm. the one that I was like, Toby was like, okay. <laughs> Directed by Jan Gonzalez. And it is the gayest fucking thing. And I love it. It's a horror, it's a horror film um, that takes a lot of inspiration from Giallo films but it's also super French. Um, so the basic premise is this director, she directs um, gay porn, and she is trying to make, uh, she's trying to elevate porn to a place where it's never been before. She's trying to make it artsy. She's trying to give a narrative. And she's found inspiration in a person who was murdered and she wants to tell his life story through a pornographic film. However, um, throughout her filming it, her cast is killed off one by one. And she has to figure out what's going on while she has her own issues to deal with. Um, a lot of shit goes down. It's very French. You're just like, oh, yeah, only the French could give us this. Um it's just such a beautiful film to look at. I love horror films that gives us like so much eye candy. And there's a lot of really cool deaths for like slasher fans out there. Like one of the first kills is um, a guy gets a dildo in his mouth and then a knife goes through his throat. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, and the score is amazing. And there's just so many like, oh, I would love to look like that or just be in this scene. Not the murder scenes, but like the porn scenes because it's like a film within a film and it's just filmed so beautifully throughout. And you're like, I wish porn was this pretty. Um, but yeah, it's just, I've seen it twice now and I just, I can't stop thinking about it because it's such a weird film and it's very deep and complex. Um, I will say that there's a trigger warning for sexual assault 
that does involve the protagonist as the assaulter. So that's part of her narrative. It's a lot to take in. I'm still thinking about all the different things this movie's about. But it's just so fucking good. If you love weird horror, it's going to be up your alley. It's on Shudder. Okay, I was going to say, is this going to be on Shudder or Mm. anywhere else? Yes, on Shudder. Okay. I am very intrigued. Just like hearing you explain it, I was like, okay. This sounds very interesting. I would like to be in that room watching it with Brad. (laughs) 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 Anyway. (laughs) Not an awkward transition at all that my number four film is Little Women. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, my number four film, Little Women. Let me start off by saying I had no prior experience with this story whatsoever. Wow, it's 150 years old. I, I know. Never read it. Um, never seen a movie adaptation. I didn't grow up with the 1994 one like a lot of folks did. And I thought about exploring a little bit before going and see it, but I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to go see Greta's version first and then go from there. And I obviously absolutely adored it. Um, once again, period pieces, like Civil War era. I'm, I'm just, those films don't always get me um but this one was just so playful especially when they're children you know where it is they're dealing with very difficult topics like poverty and war you know their their father is off at war the four four sisters are just so fun to watch um how about Florence Pugh I mean oh my god 12 year old Florence Pugh (laughs) I will say that was when I first saw it, I'm like, okay, it's a little weird that she was a 12 year old, but she played it so well. Like they didn't de-age her whatsoever. And from, you know, obviously the bangs, you know, her, the bangs and her hair help a little bit, but she just, she plays it like she is 12 years old in a way that isn't terribly weird. She's not desperately trying to sound like a 12 year old, like some actresses would. Um, she's just, it's very much her mannerisms and the way she portrays it. And she plays adult Amy in a very sympathetic fashion as well. One thing I've heard is that um, the character of Amy March is like the biggest brat in literature and a lot of people aren't too sympathetic towards her. I, I loved Florence Pugh's portrayal. Saoirse Ronan. She is always amazing. And it, it's weird to see a performance like this and think with most, with a lot of actors, you see a performance like this and it would be their best because she's so freaking good here. Of course, she's done a lot of other great work, Lady Bird Brooklyn, whatnot. Um, yeah, they're both great. I think it's it might be my favorite acting ensemble of the year, considering the whole cast. Um, and I really love the editing, too. I think the editing is fantastic. I think Greta Gerwig was very strategic in choosing when to go you know, forward in time and when to go back with object placement, character development, I don't know why people see this movie and they're confused by it. You know, I, I don't get that. I, I'm sorry if I'm like offending people, but I think the film is very apt at cinematic language. And as someone who has never touched this property at all, it made total sense to me. I went home this, the night I saw it and just kept thinking about it, kept thinking about the next day. I do want to explore it more, but for now, it's my number four of the year. Greta Gerwig. Another person who should be up for best director, undoubtedly, in my opinion. So, 
I can't wait to rewatch it without the taste of cats afterward. <laughs> I really ruined it for myself. <laughs> but yeah, I liked, I also appreciated that they made, it was just the same actresses playing the younger selves. It's very old, old Hollywood in that way. Yeah. Fucking Jimmy Stewart in his college uniform and it's wonderful life. <laughs> this is nice. I liked it. Yeah, it really worked for me throughout. So I like the casting here because, like, again, I've seen all of the really theatrical adaptations, and in the was it June Allison version of Forty Nine, Elizabeth Taylor is Amy, mm. and she's like the biggest. She's the biggest little brat you've ever met. Like, no wonder she's seen as an unsympathetic character. And then in the 94 version, she is recast. Mm. They age with a different actress. So it's nice to see 12-year-old Florence Pugh as, like, Amy. And then they, quote, age her. They just give her the things. Yeah. I'll see now. She's my pick for Best Supporting Actress this year. I, that's how much I love this performance. I thought it was great. Did Zach Braff pay you to say this? Yeah. <laughs> that's wild. It is. It, it really is. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, Christian, let's hear your number four. I guess she was a fan of Scrubs. Uh, <laughs> my number four is the one that we've spoken about. It's Sam Mendes, 1970. Kit Harrington is not in this movie. Oh my god, Richard Madden. Oh my god. <laughs> they both look the same. Whatever. They're both white guys from Game of Thrones. That could be anybody. But yeah. Again, the performances are good. There's not a whole lot to them, the little cameo appearances, but they make for, you know, they're nice little scenes. And I love the whole point of like, get to point A to point B, here's your goal, don't die, go. Mm-hmm. That's it. And it feels like now thinking about it, it's like a video game. You have one objective. You got to get there, and we follow along with the camera. Literally, it's one take. But the scene that Brett mentioned earlier, where it takes place at night, is like the best fucking scene. As is the football field dash, <laughs> I will call it, which is iconic because you see it in like everything. But yeah, yeah. it's very well used in the tra- trailer. It is. And unfortunately, my local theater is not showing it in IMAX, 
but they are showing it in Dolby, so I guess I'll go deafen my ears with the noise levels instead of seeing the wider imagery. I saw it in Dolby, and it just, I don't know what's wrong with that theater, but everything was vibrating. That's why I kept jumping. Every time, every time a bullet would go off, and be like, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, with the whole cameo thing, uh, with Benedict... What's his last name? I don't give a fuck. Cucumber. Cucumber. <laughs> when he came on screen, you could just hear like the uh, the like the wives going to their husbands, like, oh, I'm gonna answer him. I just hear that surrounding me, and I was like, no. <laughs> I think his reputation will be it's that guy from that yeah. movie. It's he has Dr. the name. He, it's the name. What's the name? Yeah. This is a. Doctor Strange um, prequel, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the reason I mentioned Richard, Richard Madden is, like, when they announced this movie, he was, like, the first cast member that they talked about. So I thought it, he was going to be in the starring role, but no, he's, it is, it is like, a kind of a glorified cameo. But Also, this is, like, a true story, semi. That's pretty cool, too. Really? Well, hey. it's based upon Sam Mendes's a grandfather who told the story oh. of something similar. Okay, I thought that was just like a interesting tribute. Interesting. No, it's like it's like he told a story something similar to this, but obviously what they had to go and warn the other troop about what the Germans were going to do is like the true part of it all. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then the the co-writer was she was a historian. I oh, forget her okay. name. Okay. But I'm glad that they got a female Oh, right, because I feel like it's always such a male-dominated genre. Yeah. That's nice. Unless you're Catherine Bigelow. But I don't like to talk about Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> Ooh! <laughs> Out of all the women that have won an Oscar for a director, it had to be her. Yeah. That's Christy, Wilson, Christy Wilson Carnes. There we go. Yeah. Oscar nominated. All right, moving into the top three. Zay, will you take oh, us away? My number three is The Farewell, directed yeah. by Lulu Wong. Uh, such a good fucking movie. Like, everyone was talking about it for a few months before it came out, and it just hit every expectation. Aquafina, God bless her goddamn heart, where's her Oscar nomination? Yes. Um, she plays a young girl who, um, is it New York? She was in New York? Yeah. Okay, and um, she's just talking on the phone with her grandma, blah, blah, blah. She, you can see there's such a nice relationship between her and her grandma, and then the news is broken to her by her parents that her grandma has cancer, and the whole family knows except her grandma. And so they're trying to figure out the best way in order to get the whole family together one last time so they can all spend time with her before she passes. And... Um, so they could make up a fake wedding that Aquafina's cousins are, is it cousins? I think it's cousins. Mm -hmm. um, getting married. Well, not cousins, just a cousin. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, they go to China. Well, she, they didn't think she was going to go, but she was like, I have to go. Um, and there's just a lot of family strains going on because she has a very Western ideology versus a lot of most of her family has a very um, Chinese mentality that we shouldn't tell her 
about her illness because it's only going to make things worse and it's only going to make the situation more dour. And so we want to make her, let her pass on with ignorance. And it's just Aquafina coming to terms with her own morality, but also how this morality is more of a context and not everything is so black and white. And she has to consider where her family's coming from, but also where her heart is. And it's just such an emotional journey. It's a it's a funny movie too. And ah uh, shit, who plays the grandma? Zhao Zuzan. There we go. I'm sorry. She is also amazing. The fact she also didn't get nominated. The fact that Lulu Wan got nominated for nothing. What the fuck? What the fuck? This movie is so fucking... This is a movie we're going to be talking about for years to come. No offense to the Irishman. I don't think anyone's going to be talking about that next year. The farewell? I'm going to be thinking about it for the rest of my life. It's just such a good fucking movie. And just that... And I... I think only the only thing I have a problem with is the very last scene, like the like the credit thing, like it's right before the credits. I'm not going to spoil it, but it has to do with the real life. Mm. And I think that's the only thing that I had a problem with because it kind of messed with the narrative. But it's just a beautiful movie. I'm so happy I got to experience it. God bless Aquafina. Yeah, and that that one like that was especially difficult along with Jennifer Lopez being snubbed because like I actually expected Aquafina and Charles Chuzin to be nominated because when was the last time that both comedy actress and actor winners got snubbed for the Oscars? Like I don't know, I'm not going to look that up right now, but I I don't know cuz Taron Egerton didn't get in either. But yeah, really interesting um look at the distinction between the two cultures and Aquafina kind of being caught in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's so often deemed as a comedy and I, I don't, I don't get that. It definitely yeah, has its comedic moments. Comedy. Yeah. I mean, it has its moments that are funny for sure, but for the most part, it's just like, Oh my gosh, it makes you want to cry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Christian was nice enough to invite me, um, to see a screener of this with him and, um, really nice, theater experience um it's right near the top of my honorable mentions it's one that like down the road as i think more it might crack back it in my top 10 because it is a really great movie great script from lulu wong who and i can't wait to see what she does next too i will save my thoughts i figured so so my number three of the year is one that i wasn't terribly looking forward to um but by the time when it came closer to getting it, I just came, became more and more excited for it. And it did not really disappoint for me. It is Uncut Gems from Josh and Benny Safdie. Like Christian said, just from beginning to end, anxiety-inducing thrill ride. Not in an action movie type of way, obviously. Um, yeah, Christian, you covered the plot really well. Adam Sandler is, like, it's not just that he's good for Adam Sandler, it's that he's, like, one of the best leading acting performances of the year. I mean, for me, it was all about the two Adams, Adam Driver, Adam Sandler. I don't think anybody else was really better in that category. He's another one that didn't get nominated. Um, But yeah, he's just, his character is just not likable at all. And yet, I'm so invested. Like, I don't know why I care what happens to this guy, but for some reason, I do. 
I'm really interested in the story and how it all unfolds. Um, the sound design is a lot like a Robert Altman film on drugs um, right. with all these people talking over one another. You've got Lakeith Stanfield showing up in this. He, Like Zay said, he's always awesome. He's always great. Um, Adina Menzel, like in a performance that I would not expect from her. And Julia Fox in her first film role, I believe. Um, my big, my one criticism of the movie is I wish that her and Nadine's characters would have been developed more, a little better. But towards the end of the movie, I thought she was great. Um, and I hope she gets more roles coming her way as well. Um, I can see this being a movie that a lot of audiences would not like for the direction it takes. And um, but for me, it was just a it was just a fun thrill from beginning to end. And I would really love to just hang out with the Safety brothers for 30 minutes and just see what happens. Because this is my first foray into their filmography, and I'm looking forward to checking out more. So that's my number three. Did you, did you not see Good Time? I did not see Good Time. Did not see Good Time. So I, I'm guessing if you had hung out with them, you'd be real sweaty at the end. Oh, yeah. You're probably like hooked on drugs. It <laughs> <laughs> would have to induce so much adrenaline in you. Yeah. It's like chaotic. Yeah. Very interesting. And yeah, great editing too. Like some of the best editing of the year here as well. So. But um, just like President Bush was warned of the impending 9-11 or FDR was impended by the, you know, Japanese attack in Pearl Harbor, we were warned by Adam Sandler if he was not nominated, he would never make a good movie again. So, <laughs> no plus. Because this is it. He only had this and Punch Drunk Love of, I don't know, Jack and Jill. Meyerowitz and the comedies stories. of his own. What? stories. He's really good in that, too. Um, okay, but who's actually seen that? Not my problem. Not my problem. But... <laughs> I don't know. Adam Sandler is very interesting for me because I I grew up watching his '90s comedies and I he's played some characters that I really don't agree with him playing on Waterboy and you know Ridiculous Six was just I didn't see it but all the stuff I heard about was awful. But the truth is he can't act. Um, he is actually a classically trained actor and he does a really good performance here. So it just pisses me off because he's just been so lazy for so long. And then he does this shit, and I'm like, where's this been? <laughs> exactly. It's like he only wants to show his potential when he... I don't know. I People need to send him scripts. I'm assuming people do send him scripts that are, like, super good, but he probably, like, throws them out the door and goes for that murder mystery bullshit that I hated. That apparently everyone else loved enough. Oh, my God. Yeah. And we're getting a sequel to it. <laughs> Uh, is it my number three? Yes, you're number three. Is my Kate? number three is a no. It is Marriage Story. <laughs> God, could you imagine Adam Sandler in this? He'd be like, "I hate you." I don't know how Adam Sandler sounds. Anyway, uh, so yes, Brett touched on Marriage Story earlier. Two actor director relationship here. It's breaking apart. They are pretty much in the middle of the custody battle with their child. The system gets to them, the system of divorce and how messy it can actually get. 
Uh, he t- Brett touched on a lot of the acting stuff. I know film Twitter is like, oh, they're just acting. <laughs> but acting is reacting. And they both react off of each other very fine fucking well, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Especially Adam Driver. He is my favorite performance of the year. Um, and he gives that whole argument scene is like one of the best duet performances I've seen in recent years. I will also call out the final letter scene that he's reading with his son. And of course the being alive song moment where we learn Adam driver can sing great stuff. I was fortunate enough to see this in the theater at a screening. There was only like six of us, but I cried and I didn't want the other people to see me crying. But (laughs) As I wrote, I think I wrote this in one of my reviews, but it it was a it's a movie where my people have issues, but I care about them, which doesn't happen often. As the academy is like, oh, you do like white people and their issues, do you? Here's an Oscar for you. <laughs> so yeah, that's Marriage Story. I fucking love this film. Like the first week that it dropped on Netflix, I would just rewatch the opening scene over and over again. Because I love that montage. Yeah. And it's like a semi-true story. So that's interesting. <laughs> interesting huh? background. You care about white people, do you? Well, we have the white people movie for you. We're going to nominate to the two popes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Don't even start me on that movie, oh, though. and not just the two popes. We've got another one for you. Bombshell! Oh. Not a fan. Wait, wait. Not enough? Not enough? Ford versus Ferrari! I haven't seen it yet. Same. <laughs> but, yeah. I don't know. Marriage Story just hit differently, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of weird that Scarlett... Well, I mean, I guess what has Scarlett Johansson done recently? Played Asian person, played a black lady. <laughs> that Harriet Tubman movie, as Harriet. Apparently <laughs> got her Oscar nominations, so... But yeah, it's Adam, Adam Driver that just moved me in this. So. Yeah, same. All right, Zay, let's hear your number two. My number two is Jump. one that was mentioned already. Yes, cats. Yes, cats, cats. My Taylor Swift, love her in Cats. <laughs> My number two is Portrait of a Lady on Fire, directed cats. by... Celine Sciamma, and it's, I am here because I am gay. I love this fucking movie. It's so beautiful. It's artistic. I, ah, just the whole time, I'm just enthralled. You're welcome. (laughs) I, ah, and just, it's so beautiful. And you just feel the emotion between these two. I haven't felt this much about a love story since Carol. Ugh. And like... Notice they're both women. Mm-hmm. Honestly, honestly, straight romance is canceled. You can't do a good straight romance movie anymore. Only gay event. I... I, know, I, just, I can't wait to see this in the theater. Because... Mm-hmm. I feel like the screener didn't do it justice. I mean, it gave it made me so obsessed with it now, but once I see it on that big screen, I'm just gonna be sobbing. Yeah, you're welcome for that screener. Thank you. I just uh, 
Everyone needs to see it when it comes out in February. Make and Criterion. Oh, and yes. Criterion. They yes. set it up. Uh, I, will, I will say, Harold, Cesson, de Lesbian. Goddamn. But yeah, it's just. I don't think I can put it into words. I'm just going to. All of my exclamations, that's all it is. It's yeah. just beautiful. And I, I don't think that's something we touched on a whole lot, is that it is at the very heart of it a love story like a coming together love story with its very own unique our very our very artistic way yes and it's truly one of the most well-crafted movies of the year yeah that i don't think any awards body is giving it its due justice and that pisses me off yeah i don't even know what that lame miserable movie is about I don't care. I know it's not as good as this. It can't be. It's about protesting. I agree. I'm protesting that. No, that's a good point. I can't wait to see it in theaters either. I'm, I'm going to try to make a point to go and see it because, like, it affected, you know, it was that beautiful on my computer screen. Like, I can't wait to see it when it's actually in movies. So, all right. So my number two is one that I believe, Zay, you predicted to be my number one, which is a really, really great prediction. Uh, but my number two is Toy Story 4. Oh. <laughs> for, for the record, I did not rank, I did not rank my guesses of yours. Oh, okay. My bad. I thought. <laughs> I think we all just kind of assumed. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I am one of the biggest Toy Story fans on the planet. Not going to lie. And this movie was, um, we talked about our animated episode, I think it was my number four, three or four animated film of the decade. It really, it's not like it got bad reviews or anything like that. It got really good reviews, but some of the response to it was that, oh, we didn't need this. We had Toy Story 3. And I've mentioned before, I, no sequel is necessary. You know, Toy Story 2 wasn't necessary. Um... But this really provided a nice ending that we needed because this has always been about Buzz and Woody's friendship. And this provides a nice way to kind of explore that even further and round it out. I love um, what this film... I read an article about this movie. I can't remember if I talked about this in our previous animated episode or not. There's an article written about this movie of how, like, all these points we see Woody kind of passing on his voice and authority and to who that is going to. You know, um spoiler alert, giving his badge to Jesse, giving his literal voice box to Gabby Gabby, um, kind of giving Dolly authority over the playroom. You know, it's it's kind of like, it's like, okay, old white man, you know, time for you to step down and take, you know, take a little smaller step here um, and let these women characters take over. Um, but even beyond that, just emotionally wrecked me in the end. Christian knows I cried when I saw this in the theater with him. I was sniffling, and he had to, like, pat me down. Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I maybe it's just my, like, pure bias towards this series. I think it's my favorite film series ever, or just, like, the way it hit me emotionally. But I loved it. I will always loved it. I've seen it three times, and it hits me every time. So it's my number two. I really liked it. I mean, 
it's not in my honorable mentions, but it's like in my top so many of the year. And I just had a really good time watching it. And it was just nice to have all these characters that I love so much. Because I don't know too many people that are like, I don't like the Dewey Store. Right, yeah. They're, they're a film franchise I think everyone likes to some degree. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's my third favorite of the franchise. Everyone will hate me for saying what my least favorite one is. Um, it's, it's the third one. I don't, I don't think it, I like the third one. It doesn't hold up to the other ones, I don't think. Toy Story 2 is the best one. Um, um, but I also cried and it was like the slow part. So all the kids were getting like a little antsy and they were talking mm. and I'm like, shut the fuck up. You didn't, you didn't grow up with these people. I did. So you didn't <laughs> fuck up now, you little brats. Did you imagine you actually saying that? <laughs> <laughs> Me, a 24 year old by myself at a toy story four screen. <laughs> That's a character I would love to play now. <laughs> I'll start going to the movie theaters. I don't usually go to. You're just like a different version of Octavia Spencer and Ma. <laughs> Lord. No, but that's what's wild about it, is that I like same, not same order, but Toy Story 4 is my number three of the series. It's not my favorite. Um, that's just how great this series has been, how consistent it's been, and it's still my number two of the year. So, I love it. I think I said it in our animated, but it's a good epilogue to it all. Yes. Agreed. Hey, what's your least favorite then, Brad? Toy Story 2. No taste. (laughs) (laughs) That's when the existential dread is at its highest, and that's why I love it the most. That's fair. That's fair. When somebody loves and that fucking song oh my god it is a great song should have won okay Christian you're number two it is the farewell yes. what a great okay. film I mean I cried I, I don't remember if I cried the first time I saw this or the second time but there was crying at one point but it reminded me of my grandmother's which is very nice it's just a very simple, I mean, it's a simple story, but so complex because it really brings up like, well, should they tell her? Should they not tell her? I mean, for us here in the United States, we would tell somebody that they had cancer. But they even explain that this is a very cultural thing in China. The doctor says that he didn't tell his grandfather or something, and he lived for a long age. Even uh, Aquafina's character and grandfather did not know until the very end that he was sick, and he continued prolonged life. And it's like even the the relationship between Aquafina and her grandmother is so goddamn special. Mm-hmm. Like, what a great relationship! Forget whoever else was in a love, blah blah blah. This is like pure love. This is the love between a girl and her grandmother, who does she does not get to see often. And the one time she gets to see her after years and years, she knows she's sick while her grandmother does not know. And she has to put on a brave face. But honestly, it was my number one of the year for the longest time until I saw my number one. But it is still like a number one in my heart. Mm-hmm. So I almost want to say it's like a tie. Yeah. Because it's a very personal film. Whilst my number one is like the best film of the year, this is like my favorite personal film of the year. Would you say your number one is a villain origin story? 
believe it involves a bunch of felines. Oh. Or is a ripoff of Lego. Oh, I had to think for a second. I there. forgot about that movie. <laughs> everybody else. <laughs> but yes, that's the farewell, and it's super great. It's super special. By all means, please watch it. A24 put it out. A24 did not get love this year at the Oscars at all. They really didn't. They've got to work. I think they've got to work on their campaign. Not. I'm not forgiving the Oscars by any means, but like A24 basically got a shut out last year too after winning Best Picture a few years ago for Moonlight. So some, I don't know. Something's going on. You Where know, are they well, getting their money? <laughs> yeah, it, true. True. As Twitter said, they need to be working on their advertising for that instead of their overpriced merch. Hey, the true. overpriced shit sells though. Yes, one of those damn coffee table books was like a hundred bucks because I looked because I was going to get one for somebody. I won't say who. But Did you see the? I wanted, I wanted the bear in a cage. <laughs> they were selling little bears in a. Did you see the commercial they had for it? Mm, I did see that. <laughs> bear in a cage. <laughs> and with a bear in a cage, I believe we should transition to Zay's number one. Hi. Because at this point, I figured it out. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know what you mean. Mm. There's no bears in this movie. All right, my number one. Is Midsommar, directed by Aria. Is that how you say it? Yeah. I was thinking about that today. Like, how is that going to be pronounced on this podcast? Everyone makes fun of me for saying Midsommar. And, and, like, that's how it's spelled. It's not Midsummer. I've heard it both ways. So I've only heard it Midsummer. Really? Whatever. <laughs> Let me live. Anyway. It is a perfect movie. And it stars the perfect actress, Florence Pugh. 12-year-old Florence Pugh. No one's 12-year-old in this movie. As Danny, who is... Her parents just died in a very fucked-up accident. Um, and she's in a terrible fucking relationship with a guy who is more gaslit than my kitchen stove. He is garbage. And... He is going to Sweden for a Midsummer Festival with uh, some colleagues, one of which is from this village in Sweden. And they go, and it's just weird custom after weird custom. They have to deal with it until really fucked up shit happens, and they're like, maybe we shouldn't be here. But the boyfriend's like, no, no, no. I got to stay here for my college, babe. And he's like writing his doctor. Is it like, mm-hmm. like his yeah, doctoral that, piece? Oh. I don't know. Some thesis. Uh, thesis. Yeah, they thesis on this tradition. Yeah, even though he stole it from his other colleague who was already going to be doing this. <sighs> he's such a piece of shit. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's just, there's so much always happening in this movie. There's so much color. Horror movies don't get to be so bright. And I loved how bright this movie is. It was some of, some of my favorite cinematography of the year. Um, and some really fucked up things happen in this movie. And I hate to say that in the end, I feel cathartic watching this movie. But this is like the most cathartic movie of the year for me. I watched this uh, 4th of July morning. And it was a few days after I broke up with a very 
not a great person. And mm. once I saw it, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I feel so good right now. And just the scene ends with her just like, she has the best pouts. Florence Pugh has the best fucking pouts. I want to give her the best pout award. Um, but it just, it's a pout, but it just turns into this like reluctant smile and a smile just full of fucking joy. And it's just like ugh, the best ending. There's so many good ending scenes this year, but that one just, it keeps playing in my mind. Plus her iconic dress. And that iconic flower dress. Yep. Oh my God. Um, and I don't see movie, rewatch movies in the theater a whole lot, but I saw this one three times. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. I saw the two regular times and then I saw the director's cut. Mm. And I think the director's cut like added so much to it too. So it's, uh, uh, so good. I just, yeah. Ari Aster last year, he said he did Hereditary, and that was my second favorite film of the year last year. And I didn't think he could outdo himself, but he really did. And I'm sad his third movie is not going to be a horror movie. He already said it's going to be a comedy. Yeah. Oh. And I'm, I'm looking forward to him doing a comedy. I want to see what the fuck that's going to be. I am too. I'm very interested. I will say, unlike Hereditary, the first time I watched this, I thought it was good. Like Hereditary, I don't think it's like the best thing ever. But I'm like, you know, it's good. I was shocked through most of it. Especially that whole scene where the old people are jumping from the cliff. Yeah. That moved my audience. And it was like, I'm pretty sure it was a half full audience, though. Very vocally responsive. Like, holy shit. <laughs> Rose in front of me. Like, surprisingly not texting through the whole movie. So that was nice. But they were like, oh my god, what the fuck? <laughs> like, gr- girl same. But, yeah, I love that flower dress at the end. Mm-hmm. It's a total breakup movie, and all I gotta say is, Zach Braff, you better, uh... <laughs> oh, and I will give a shout-out, uh, because I really, really, really want her to listen to us, my coworker Leslie. Mm. She watched this on her day off, and her daughter just happened to be homesick, and her daughter is about... 10, 11, and watch this. So. Oh my god. That reminds me of this video I saw. It was of this kid just running out of the theater. <laughs> it was so funny. Oh, yeah. I I love the cinematography of this movie. I It would definitely make my personal nominations of the year. And Florence Pugh. God, what a year. Like, Entertainer of the Year. This, she was really good in fighting with my family, too. Like, a movie that I did not expect to be good at all. And she was really good in that, too. Um, she deserved four Oscar nominations. For those, for Midsommar, Fighting with My Family, Little Women, and 12-year-old Florence Pugh for Little Women. That, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, really, oh. That scene you mentioned, Christian, and, like, the, the cinematography, and, like, when they take the drugs, it was, like, anxiety inducing like kind of like uncut gems and some other movies from this year so So this this did not make my list it didn't make honorable mentions and stuff but it did make my cinematography favorite of the year i will say i did enjoy especially that last scene and it's just like her full frame flower dress love it yeah very nice okay so my number one has 
I mean, if you look at a lot of lists and some of, a lot of critics' awards, it's been the consensus, so I'm not exactly being original here. I don't care. This movie's amazing. It is Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, which Zay touched on earlier. Like Zay said, you if you haven't seen this movie, like, seriously, like, you should go in knowing as little as possible. You know, when we saw it, I saw it with Christian, um, and, you know, it was just like, what's going on? Like, it covers all these different genres in various ways, and the way it transitions from one to the next is, I don't know how it works so well. It's great editing. Um, but Bong Joon-ho might my personal pick for best director of the year with what he creates and establishes here. I really love how it tackles um, social class inequality and not just the way, like we see a lot of movies that show the division between the very rich and those living in poverty. Not a lot of films show how that creates conflict between those in poverty. And this film really touches on that. Um, yeah, it's discussing that culture um, the production design for the house it takes place in for the most part is absolutely incredible. And yet the performances as well. Um, Song Kang-ho, best supporting actor, my winner this year. I think he's great. Um, Park So-dam is my other favorite performance from this, who plays, um, Jessica, single child from Illinois, Chicago. You'll get that if you see the movie. Um, <laughs> I, I love it so much. And like Zay said, I don't want to go too deep into it because you, you really, you have to see this movie. I walked out and was already certain that it was a masterpiece. And yeah, I Parasite, number one, won the Palm d'Or. I still got a glimmer of hope that it's going to win Best Picture of the Oscars. A, a, a glimmer, you know, at least. So. so my number one is also Parasite. It's the keep this conversation rolling yes parasite number one um i saw it with brett as well and i turned to you halfway through and was like is this a comedy because it is very funny mm -hmm. you know it's very funny and then like my favorite phrase if i don't want to spoil a movie shit happens but that's where you can't really spoil this movie because you have to go into it blind literally uh again shout out to my coworker leslie she asked me yesterday, what is Parasite even about? <laughs> and I said what Brett basically said when uh, Zay was giving description. A family does this to another family, sort of, you know, finds ways to get into their lives. But that's all I'm going to tell you. Because I'll buy it. I'll let you borrow it. You have to see this. People have to see this blindly. Go into it without knowing a single thing, and you will be so shocked. Just do the plot wise and how good it is. It's a Korean film. People on this one blog that I've been following have been asking if it's subtitled. Like, I mean, obviously it is. Is that going to be a problem? Because it sure wasn't. Because when we saw it, it was sold out. Yeah. And you could tell the audience really loved it. So, great film of 2019. One of the best of the decade if you listen to our best of decade podcast. Yeah. And I too. I, too, have a glimmer of hope it can pull off the big win of the night. Or, if not, at least Best Director. Because, mm -hmm. yeah. And I can't believe Bong Joon-ho did, like, Okja, which I didn't even give a second thought to that after I saw it. Yeah. I'm like, what? 
There you are. That was just recent, it feels like. Yeah, he's great. I can't, like... It's such a masterpiece. He's another one, like, oh my gosh, what's he going to do after Parasite? Like, what are you going to do next? Oh my gosh. Parasite too. Uh, yeah, I, I, I answer my... Yeah. Damn Parasite TV series. Left. No, he'll direct the English version. Oh my god. Can you believe that they're talking about that? The all-white English version. Yeah. It was so funny that his Golden Globe speech, which was tremendous, was just like... If you get over the little, you know, the subtitles, it's amazing the films you'll see. We're going to do an American-English remake of Parasite as a TV series. How about that? I'm like, oh, okay. You missed the point, but... It's so cute, too, that, like, he commented about his nominations, and he was like, I knew we would kind of get nominated because they had John Cho saying our names, and he said them right. Why? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> God bless. Yeah. Did we all give our number one? We did. There you have it, folks. Okay. Well, of course, as always, we do want to, of course, give some focus to some honorable mentions. I know we've mentioned some throughout, but Zay, do you have some films that didn't quite make your list? I sure do. Uh, my number 11 was one Christian Top was on my list, and it's Loose. Um, it's such an original movie. I don't know. I, I'm still processing everything. I need to rewatch it. It's just all very dense. Yeah. My next three, this was, a, like Brett mentioned earlier, a very good year for sophomore horror films because my next year is The Lighthouse, mm-hmm. which is Dave, David Egger. I love The Witch so much, I shouldn't be fucking up his name. Robert Eggers. Robert Eggers, yeah. Uh, and The Nightingale which is Jennifer Kent's second film after The Babadook, which is not exactly a horror film, but it's definitely horrific, and it's a yes. lot to sit through. Lots of trigger warnings for that one. And then Us and Knives Out were my other ones. So cool. it's a great year for Also, if y'all haven't seen Serenity, you gotta see Serenity. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. So I didn't rank mine or anything. I just have some films that were very close. The Farewell was my number 11 Knives Out, um, The Irishman, the, the fact that it didn't make like my list how anticipated it was is a little disappointed, but I did really enjoy the movie. I also have The Lighthouse. I have a um, German-slash-French movie called Transit, which is um, a really interesting romance-slash-escapist um, film that kind of has ties to Casablanca. It's really good. I also have Loose. I have Apollo 11, which I found very thrilling for a documentary. A little movie called Little Woods with Tessa Thompson and Lily James that is kind of like a modern Western type film without a lot of action. Good performances. Dolomite is My Name. Eddie Murphy is awesome in that movie. Pain and Glory. Antonio Banderas getting that Oscar nomination is really cool. And... Oftentimes, finales fail spectacularly. Avengers Endgame, in my book, was a big success. So, give it a shout-out. Christian, let's hear yours. Well, oftentimes, finales fail spectacularly, but I disagree with all of you, because I had Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. (laughs) (laughs) And I literally just tagged you all on a Facebook post, because somebody leaked what... um, Colin Trevor's version of it was going to be, and oh, it, it honestly sounds lit, and it is a legit thing. 
Uh, please look that up. Um, also, Homecoming, a film by Beyonce. I am not the biggest Beyonce fan in the world. Like, I could care less about her. This is life-changing, honestly. A documentary called Fiddler, A Miracle of Miracles. Again, very personal because in eighth grade, I was in Fiddler on the Roof. So a documentary about Fiddler on the Roof. Why the hell not? The Biggest Little Farm, which I made Zay watch. Avengers Hustlers, mm. Toy Story 4, Portrait of Lady on Fire, Amazing Grace, and one that really stunned me after a year of Bohemian Rhapsody spoiling my taste, Rocket Man. Love me that Elton John. So Very nice. There's that. And before we go, I don't know if y'all kept track of your going along, um, but we obviously predicted each other's lists. I would say 80% on yours, Christian. I missed two. I missed two, so not bad. I, I actually also predicted Christian's because things were done beforehand before we actually decided we were picking only one person's. And I got 9 out of 10 on both of y'all's. Oh, all right. Christian, I think you got three of mine. Well, I said a game movie. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then Wild Nights with Emily, which is a really good movie, but it's like in my 30s. Or 40s. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. It wasn't that good. Cats, Joker, the Playmobil movie. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're right. Those are all, like, right under my other and honorable mentions. The Curse of La Llorona, obviously. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> the Haunting of Sharon Tate. Oh, I heard about that. <laughs> Hillary Duff playing Sharon Tate. All right. Well, thank you, folks, for listening once again. Um, as always, we appreciate all the listening. Apologies for the technical difficulties, but we appreciate you if you have made it this far um, and listening to our top 10 films of the year. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, as always, on Apple Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts, follow us on all social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. Um, thanks to Joshua Arnoldi once again for conducting our theme music and of course thank you Zay for joining us again because this is always a blast when you come on thank you for having me I hope I can come back one day <laughs> of course awkward <laughs> <laughs> whisper whisper of course uh, Christian any final thoughts um no, uh, the Academy Awards are, are coming down the road. And yeah. so are the more important awards, the Christian Awards. Very nice. Yeah. Voting has begun. Oh, I'm going to nominate Breakthrough for that. That was my favorite Christian movie. Ever. <laughs> I was really about to say that Breakthrough has more Academy Awards than us, than Portrait of a Lady on Fire, than really half of what we talked about today. <sighs> exactly. The Farewell. Okay. Well, thank you again for listening, folks. Be tuning in for what we got next, and we will hear from you next time. Adieu. Adieu.